Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Two Cyber Chicks podcast. You're about to join Erica and Jax for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hey, two Cyber Chicks fam. We are thrilled you're listening in today. We are going to be talking about all things governance, risk, compliance, aka GRC, one of the coolest spaces in cybersecurity. Our guest brings a wealth of knowledge from the GRC side of the house, along with the artificial intelligence space. He's a professor in which he teaches law and governance of technology, along with artificial intelligence. Josh, you have such an awesome background, so many cool things that you have done. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experience with our listeners. How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm honored to be here with two awesome chicks right is that what you call each other love it (laughs) two cyber chicks two awesome chicks it's okay this is you know this is episode three we're still buffing it out a little bit it's fine (laughs) it's awesome josh i am so excited we finally got you on the show we've known each other i feel like we've known each other for a lifetime but it's only been a year i think is when you reach out a year yeah probably a year one of my favorite uh stories is actually meeting you up meeting up with you at a we work and uh, sitting at the Pac-Man like um, arcade, and you're and I'm like hunched over, yes. and you're like you are the tallest, biggest dude, and you're at the smallest <laughs> table trying to do work. So, and it was a Pac-Man table. It literally could pay, play Pac-Man on it, and I guess he thought that was a good location to have his meeting for the day for us to meet. We didn't even have enough room to put two laptops. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are you doing? It was awesome. Oh my gosh. So I've always wanted to ask you this question. I don't know why I haven't posed this. So now we can do it on the podcast. So how did you move to working in the cybersecurity space and even more so in the artificial intelligence space? I was originally doing lobbying work. Mm. So policy development, lobbying. And uh, prior to that, I was a chemist. So the the transition was basically around subject matter expertise how can you be a subject matter expert and then communicate that to policymakers and those crafting legislation um and through that i decided to go to emory law to just take my expertise to that next level how do you write legislation how do you think about the law um how do you think like a lawyer Right. So you have like sort of that mixture. And while there at Emory, I really got into teaching, writing, and then what's the future look like. Um, and through that was when one professor said, hey, this other professor's working with computer scientist uh, around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and they're trying to take law and teach this system about the law and we think you'd be great and so i kind of moved into that role of the startup 
on developing an artificial neural network and teaching this machine about the law. And from that, that's when it just, it was just like, this is my space. And um, how do I learn more about machines? How do I learn more about coding? How do I learn more about security? And um, that, yeah, that, that's, that, that's all she wrote, basically. Oof. Okay, Josh, that is a lot to unpack. This sounds like a lot of school, first off, a lot of learning. It sounds like you are one of those people that just is taking all of the tools that they have at their disposal and just, you know, making lemonade out of lemons, right? Like anything that's being thrown at you, you just kind of jived with it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so I had one story where immediately one of the professors, she said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to write a law review article and I'd like you to co-author. Um, and so that was pretty cool. Like yeah. right away, a law professor saying, Hey, let's, let's do this. Um, I, I went through the research and I was like, actually what we want to write about is out there. It's hidden, but it's already out there. And so I worked on a different project, helped another professor, um, edit one of her textbooks so that was a good experience um, going through that that whole aspect um, of of writing and understanding law and bu building case studies, and that's where I really started developing that love of teaching, um, and was able to work with different universities at an adjunct level, and um, and yeah, so it's it's wow. fun. Yeah, no, what a what a what a journey, honestly. I, I know it probably took a lot of trial and error to find your true, true passion, but here we are now. So I think that's awesome. Um, I am really curious as to, you told me, you know, this is, this is what you are passionate about now. You love teaching. I want to know exactly, you know, and obviously we're two cyber chicks. We're here to talk about cyber. It's super interesting to us about, you know, how you get to where you get, right? So we're in the cyberspace now. Josh, what is it about the cyberspace that has made you stay here? Um, I think it's so challenging that in the, in the sense that no one it's ever evolving mm -hmm. and no one has a solution for everything, okay. right? When, when you figure something out in the cyberspace, someone, a hacker or a nation state mm -hmm. figures out a new way to get around it. And so it's, yes. a, it's a moving target yeah. and that's, that's the exciting part of, um, finding a challenge that needs to be solved and then how fast can you keep up with uh with the enemy so to speak right knowing that there's always someone out there smarter than you right <laughs> that's what i remind myself all the time um jackson i love to challenge each other and i know that's one of the really cool things that i love personally about the cyberspace is what you just mentioned josh is not just the challenge but then there's also this community right that challenges each other like you mentioned one person comes out with one article, then it's kind of like this amazing, like effect, you know, just, it, it just, you get momentum. And then one person comes out with something, then you're getting other people's opinion. And it just creates this like, just beautiful chaos. I'll just call it that. I, I agree. I mean, I think, and that's, I mean, it's kind of a good analogy for my life and my trajectory is, you know, you, you do the hard work and then something, 
something comes from it. Something is certain, like there's an interesting piece behind, say, educating lawmakers about something. And then they go, hey, you're really good at this. They Other people identify a skill and you go, wow, I am really good at that. Like, I like doing that. Let's continue down that path. And that's what makes it exciting, I think, is when you can work with people and they're identifying things that maybe you, I mean, you're kind of narrowly focused, right? Um, where I would say, you all have a podcast and you're not doing video. I mean, look at these smiles from these ladies. No one can see it, right? Um, we need to, need to amplify that more and help other people find those skills or those strengths and then highlight those. Yeah, we, we're hoping that we'll go to a video soon, actually. So that's an awesome. I love that you said that. We're like, we were just talking about going going out and doing some video on this. Um, so I want I want to pivot a little bit on some things that you've talked about, Josh, because I'm I'm getting into the GRC space and I'm loving it. I did a hard pivot in July into this space and I really enjoy working in NIST. That's the framework that I really have enjoyed primarily because of getting involved with the CMMC, as you're well aware, because you were working as a global policy advisor for the CMMC. So I have, this is kind of a multi-part question, but the first part, I want your personal and professional opinion on the overall, like the, the high level of CMMC and the impacts that the new version 2.0 is going to have on our critical infrastructure and what you think will happen going forward with CMMC. Like, will it dissolve? Will it change into maybe a version three, maybe even a version four? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, great question. I mean, I think, you know, these are all predictions that we're making. And obviously there are many groups trying to communicate um, to policymakers on the Hill, as well as agencies. Um, you see President Biden and th that administration doing some work. Um, I'm excited for the new part of CMMC because of the scalability. I think you have a better ability to scale um, moving away from CMMC 1.0. And the reason why I say that is because they the amount of time it took to try and get assessors and get people approved, you only know, had five C3 PAOs where that they can't cover the entire DIB um, they, or the defense industrial base. They can't cover all parts of the supply chain. And um, that made it really challenging. So that's one aspect. The second aspect, you weren't you weren't looking at risk. So you mentioned NIST and going down sort of this risk part, the risk uh, management framework that it was all based on like this survey, right? Like, hey, you take the survey, you did this, then you show a little evidence, maybe call it a day where you're not really moving toward overall cyber hygiene and protecting the critical infrastructure. You're just filling out a survey that someone said to do. Um, the third piece of this, if I were to pick three pieces, would be um, the thought around how the AV was established, where it was put into, who put it together, 
you have sort of this good old boys sort of club as a political move. And then we're going to create something that, that only a select few were able to really capitalize on. Um, so it was more of like a, a monopoly for a, a select group. And that really hurt how we look at democracy, how we think about uh, competitive nature and innovation, as well as the, the, the strength of protecting the defense industrial base and the Department of Defense. Yeah, and one of the last things you just said, uh, protecting our defense industrial base, and that was the whole premise behind CMMC, was to secure our supply chain to protect our critical infrastructure. After seeing version 2.0 come out, my professional, my opinion on this is I don't think we're doing that. And we've taken almost 10 steps back in a way, and now we've complicated the, the overall process that we already had in place. I think the process that we already had in place it's, it's that process now layered with POAMs and other different waivers that you have to achieve, but you're still doing self-assessing and a lot of, a lot of the organizations. So we're in a, in a way we're going right back to, we're not, we're not securing our critical infrastructure. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I get that's, that's, I guess where I'm really frustrated with some of these changes that I saw. Yeah. I mean, I think the analogy could be uh, around you start building a building right? And you're building it in the wrong direction. Now it's leaning over. And I think the first thing you need to do is just knock down the building. And then really, now you have a strategy. And, and now how do you rebuild the building to make it stronger um, and straight <laughs> in the direction that you want it to go? So I think we're in that phase of there was a strategy, the new leadership saw that the building was being built incorrectly and you're going to have to tear it down to rebuild something that is going to be stable and uh, move us in the right direction. So it's kind of going back to the, the chemistry aspect of my life of um, there's sort of this growth and decay. And then through that you regrow into something that's better. Oh, I like that analogy. Yeah, and it's uh, the, the also the premise be, behind CMMC was to have the CMMC controls in place. But when they scrape those completely out and now they're just using NIST 171, it really makes me wonder why do we even have the accreditation body? Why do we have CMMC when we're going back to using NIST 171 and we're doing self-assessment? But Do you think they, I mean, let's just add this for a second, CMMC AB, there is no point for them. Right. No, there's not. That's that's my opinion. I don't. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah. And I think people in the in the community have all said this. Right. They got on the town hall and they basically the DOD was like gutted. I think one guy wrote on LinkedIn, like gutted the AB like a cod fish. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So. I, you know, my prediction on that is there going to be enough lawsuits and people are going to try and get their money back. <laughs> oh, yeah. All these organizations like I spent five hundred dollars, which wasn't you know, it's not a substantial, but it's five hundred dollars. And I'm in startup mode 
and it's for nothing now. And there's RPOs, 5,000 and even more. Some have spent, you know, 30,000. Some companies have spent over 100,000 already starting their assessment process that now they don't need to do. So it's a, it's a very interesting time. The town hall was yesterday. So we'll see what happens. Things are going to kind of start unraveling, I think. And there'll be some people coming out. And like you said, lawsuits are going to start to happen. Um, before I give it over to Erica, because I've talked way too much because I'm so in, engaged in the CMNC, I have to ask you one more question, though, on, on framework. So I'm really passionate about NIST, and Erica loves SOC, too. That's her jam. Do you have a specific framework that you really enjoy utilizing and why? <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. Um, yes, Erica loves SOC, too. I have... I mean, I like, there's a lot of good things that come from SOC 2. I'm, I'm kind of in the camp a little bit around who's going to be able to, to audit independently and do a good job. And those in the SOC 2 world around, I mean, it's built by sort of that audit group. Um, Again, we're not mentioning names, so I'm not going to mention the names. <laughs> uh, so in that group, I think it has a lot of advantages to that. Now, from a then the NIST side would be thinking about sort of these national standards from a U.S. centric point of view, then, you know, that's another good thing to think about. Um, so I think there's a lot of overlap. Uh, sometimes they don't talk the same, right? If you're thinking of like an engineering mind versus an auditing mind and trying to meld the two together. Um, so I, I, I hope I avoided the question <laughs> more than anything. You did a great job of, uh, of uh, explaining the fact that no, that they're not the same while they are sometimes used to fulfill the same purpose. There are overlapping controls, right? Let's just call them that and guidance. And sometimes it just depends on how it was written. So if you're looking at ISO, obviously that's being written from an international perspective versus if we're looking at, you know, NIST, that's going to have a completely different perspective. And so there's so many little nuances, but in the GRC space, I mean, that's what gets us excited, right? We're like, it's so fun to actually understand who needs what and why do they need it? And, you know, as a third party assessor myself, um, for me, it's just exciting to, to see what impact we can make on an organization to help them, you know, meet the regulatory uh, requirements based on, you know, the audits that we're putting these clients through, right? So seeing that end product and it's a win-win for both parties. So I'm actually going to loop us back to something we were talking about before we were recording. Well, can, I ask, can I ask you a yes, question yeah. first? Okay. I'll ask both of you this question. So do you, and, and, for the audience and SOC 2 and NIST, are you coming at it first from a sort of a risk management mindset? Is that your first thought in SOC 2 and is that your first thought in NIST? I can go first. I think that for me as a cybersecurity professional, risk is always at the forefront. So I look at everything from a risk-based perspective because my job is not just to audit you on this subset of controls. I feel like my job is to be a trusted advisor and to identify risks that may not be prescriptive, 
right? They may not be um, something that the client is thinking about because they're so immersed in their day-to-day operations and their control environment that sometimes they're not looking at things from a risk-based perspective. They start thinking the check bo- check the box mentality, which I know our listeners here are are probably like thinking, yeah, I've heard that from when it comes to audit, you know, check the box audits are not the way to go. So that's why I personally have always tied everything back to risk. And I try to take a few steps back, understand what is the organization doing? What do they need? You know, what are their commitments to their, to their customers? What type of data are they storing? You know, what are the risks associated here? Um, what does data look like? You know, just trying to peel back those layers so that I have a really good understanding before I apply any framework or you know body of knowledge to anything okay yeah i like that. i like that answer um i have to follow up after erica gush <laughs> um no for me i do look at everything with risk but having a background within cyber threat intel i always take it a le- level more i always look at what is risk it's threat and vulnerabilities and so when i look at an organization my mind immediately goes to their vulnerabilities it's just it's how my mind works because I'm always looking and thinking about vectors because I'm thinking, how are you going to be impacted? What are your risks and why are they? Why is that your risk? Um, the reason I chose NIST though, is my background in the federal system for almost you know two, uh, two decades. So it's easier as I started diving into SOC and some of the other frameworks, NIST was easier for me to understand. But I understand that these frameworks are not security. They are a framework to create a foundational understanding for these organizations, depending on their scope, to help them with their risk management. And so NIST, really the short answer is I chose it and I like it because of my federal background. And it's just, it's a language I completely understand. I grasp it like really, really quickly. Yeah, Yeah, great. So, I mean, I think that's that at the end of the day, it's based on the advisor, right? So regardless of, um, we might call them frameworks, but if if you think about it a different analogy to kind of help with this a doctor is going okay here's a problem here's a solution what are the risks in order to get us to that solution and i think if you think in that mindset then you're going to be able to help your clients so it's it's off of that rather than okay i'm going to check the box as you would say i'm going to build a frame off this framework i'm going to do a quick assessment and it's like well we need to step back here. Mm-hmm. We don't need a heart surgeon yet. Uh, what are the risks involved? And is this going to get us to where we want to be? Um, so I thought I'd add that a little tidbit in before I we move on. I love that tidbit. No, that's great, Josh. And and Jax, I, I want to I restate what you just said about frameworks not being security. Same with compliance, not necessarily being security. Um, us in the compliance, you know, sector, like we, we are so immersed into all of this, and we're like, we understand why our clients need these requirements, why they need to satisfy it. But at the same time, we're just like, okay, this isn't necessarily true security. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience a breach. It doesn't mean that we're fully avoiding all risks. Right? We're getting into a more managed state. And when we talk about risks and all of this, and I know Josh, I'm getting back to my question. I want to talk about the shift that we're seeing here in the industry. And that shift being the responsibility shift into these giant providers. Um, So for example, we are talking about infrastructure providers and the responsibilities and the commitments that they're having to increase as, um, you know, as new changes happen in the industry with, you know, things coming up in our, the executive order, you know, the infrastructure changes, um, mandates, things like that. I mean, 
we're seeing such a shift into the cloud providers um, and infrastructure co-location. There's so many responsibilities falling back on them. I know that um, you have studied the cloud space and I wanna kind of just hear from you what your take on um, what the shift is is doing from an impact perspective, and if any you know if any of our listeners want to want to kind of learn more about it, what is what is your take on how this is impacting our our business and how we do work? Yeah, great question. I I we're and maybe this is the thought around politics, but I'm not trying to mean it to be a political statement, but that's where my mind goes to. We are a country built on small business, right? And in order to thrive and innovate and move faster and also protect everything and manage risks, um, it's really hard for someone trying to find a solution and be a customer to work on their business and then try and manage all of their risk, all of their controls manage and build an, an infrastructure that that they're trying to build on right um, so from a small business perspective it's the best option to drive costs down and then increase the availability of tools i mean one way of thinking about it but really solutions that the government can use um, on the local level or the federal level or just enterprise being able to use a particular product and know that I'm going to be storing data in here. And is it being backed by someone um, that's bigger than me, right? That has more resources and wants me to be a part of their network. And th that really goes back to the sort of the network effects of things. Um, and so I think it's a good thing that we're moving sort of in that direction. Now we just need to sort of increase the push to make it more, um, more well-known and people trust it and people are trained around it. And then they'll start going, oh yeah, let's, let's let me work on my business and let other people think about more about security. Yeah, I think small businesses are are undervalued by certain individuals in the in America, not realizing that, as you said, like they they are the backbone. They make up America as our small business, and that was that was one thing that was a big concern with this initial CMMC model was the it was not allowing the small businesses the opportunity that they needed to ensure that they could become compliant to get stay in the dib and get these contracts because it could cost them $150,000, $200,000 to get certified. And a lot of small companies don't have that. And I like how you said, if you can't do it, outsource it. And so, and that's becoming more and more critical for the, these smaller organizations to outsource their SIMs and the other stuff and risk management and everything like that. And so I'm really excited with what you're doing, Josh, and your wealth of knowledge. And now that we've got another fellow GRC in our little circle now, um, growing that out. But is there anything, because we're about to wrap, is there any big things that you're about to do that you can share with us, with the listeners that you have going on? Or is there like a way that they could reach out to you and contact you on any of the things that you've kind of got going on? Yeah, so let me make one comment off your response, just to be super clear. When you yeah. said outsourcing, not to be confused with offshoring. So in terms of security, just 
being able to collaborate within the ecosystem that we have here and not moving it to another economy um, that would be detrimental to our national security. Smart. Love it. Yep. Very good point. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's always, there are always projects, right. That we're working on one project that we, I didn't mention earlier that I'm really excited about is, and maybe this is a passion for me around teaching is workforce development. Um, I've been working with a few universities and then talking with congressional leaders uh, to different special interest groups around thinking about workforce development in the STEM sector. Uh, so if chemistry and technology, they kind of mesh together, uh, Jax. <laughs> so the two of them, um, we need more, more access in there and we need more opportunities for folks. Um, and that even goes to not, you don't even need a four-year degree. You need sort of that work ethic to get you up and running and more people need to embrace sort of that technology, that science aspect. Um, and so I'm working on a few projects around there and um, with a few universities. So I'm really excited about that on where they're gonna be going. Awesome, I'm excited, I cannot wait. Um, so how can our listeners reach you, Josh? If there's any individuals that may wanna ping you for legislative help they've got going on or maybe to offer you a new position on their board, what's the best way for them to be able to contact you? Yeah, I mean, email's good, LinkedIn is even better. Uh, if you know Erica and Jax, then Hey, they'll, they'll find me. I love it, Josh. Thank you so much for being a guest. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited that I was able to join you all. Thanks, thanks for Josh. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Two Cyber Chicks Podcast with Erica and Jax. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.